Now, Bill, I know we have many common interests when it comes to topics of these podcasts that we share together with our listeners. Tonight, I'd like to explore a bit more on a possible tool, and I'll use that word very loosely, (laughs) that can be used for paranormal research. It has multiple names, a witch board, a talking board, but most commonly known as a Ouija board. Now, I would say Ouija board, but I I think the common acceptance is Ouija board. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the not only the the pronunciation, but the, the source. I think we need to just say Ouija board for the sake of continuity. A supposed tool used to contact spirits from beyond the veil. Like most tools, this could be warped, twisted, manipulated even to try to contact a loved one that has passed on, or perhaps a more sinister attempt to contact demons or spirits. Or maybe a fascinating tool to access the subconscious? Absolutely. Surrounded by myths, half-truths, misunderstood origins, even with its name, regardless, its earliest origins date back to 1100 AD in China, but popularized here in the United States in the 1880s, and it's still clawing its way into horror, movie, novel, and paranormal investigations even today. So, Bill, join me tonight, if you would. Just place your fingers on that planchette on the table as we ask questions for answers on the Ouija board. From a child born into this world, we are taught what to believe. Close-minded, we become fearful to be deceived. Still we desire to know what lies beyond that locked door. The art of the storyteller conjuring tales of legend and lore. History hidden, lost knowledge, things forgotten and the unknown. These are the things that direct us and will set the tone. Welcome friends to another episode of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. So you, you, we're going to talk about the Ouija board today. Like you said, it's got all kinds of names. You may have heard it called all kinds of things. Talking board, spirit board. Witch board. Witch board. Um, and if you go on Amazon, I mean, there's... Amazon has everything. of them. So they're out there. That's still around. The trademark on the Ouija board is currently owned by Hasbro. Of course it is. But of course, uh, like anything, you know, Band-Aid and, and all that stuff... Ouija board has kind of become the the generic term for any of these talking boards. Yes. Which I yes. believe talking board was the original parlance here in America. The Ouija, also known as a spirit board or talking board, witch board, it's simply a flat board marked with letters of the alphabet, uh, the numbers zero through nine, uh, the words yes or no, and occasionally you'll find one that even has hello or goodbye, along with some various symbols and graphics. It uses what's called a planchette. It's a small heart or triangle-shaped piece of wood or plastic, and that's the movable indicator to spell out messages during a seance. And those, the planchette, there's actually two variations of it, one of which is just a pointer, Mm -hmm. and then the other has like a piece of glass or clear plastic. Yeah, like one of the old uh, eight balls you used to kind of shake, but it's a little window. I was going to say you could mouse over, but that definitely wouldn't be the right term, but it would go over and you could... (laughs) The, the letter you were looking for would show through the yeah, opening. It would try to spell out words to you that way, and that's, that's how you would indicate. Now, the popular belief that the word Ouija comes from the French and German words for yes is actually a misconception. Yeah, we and y'all. 
The name is taken from a word spelled out on the board when its inventor asked the ghosts on the other side of the veil to help him name it. So there's one big misconception. Now, as you had said, Ouija is a trademark for Hasbro, which, of course, anybody in the gaming toy industry knows that's Wizards of the Coast, uh, who also does Dungeons and Dragons, and my gosh, they own almost everything. So <laughs> why not the Ouija board, too? Transformers and My Little Pony. <laughs> Absolutely. Spiritualists in the United States believe that the dead were able to contact the living and reportedly use talking boards very similar to a modern Ouija board at their camps in the U.S. state of Ohio in 1886. This was done to enable faster communication with the spirits. So the commercial introduction of the Ouija board happened in, in 1890. It started with Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland. He was the first person to sort of seize upon this as a commercial opportunity. He brought in a couple of friends, uh, some investors, one of which was Elijah Bond. Elijah Bond was a local attorney and then uh, also a Colonel Washington Bowie, who was a local surveyor. Now, they started the Kindred Novelty Company to make and distribute the talking boards. These were not yet called the Ouija board at that point in time. Uh, like you said, the origin of the Ouija board's name, Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, was considered what he called a strong medium. Now, of course, medium means someone who could interact with the dead. Right, right. Seances so and such. She sat down to use the board and she asked it, what should we call you? At which point it spelled out the word Ouija, O-U-Ouija. I-J-A, or Ouija, as we would say. When when she asked the board what it meant, it, it's traveled to the letters and spelled out good luck. <laughs> now, a variation on that is um, apparently there was a female activist of the time whose name was very similar to we, Ouija in spelling, but instead of a J, I believe it was a, a D. Hmm. And her brother, allegedly, is the one who moved the planchette around trying to spell that name, but obviously couldn't read it across the table fully and, and butchered one of the letters. Misspelled his sister's name. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, not his sister. She was a, she had a locket that had a, it was, like I said, she was a, a female activist at the time. Oh, okay. So in order to sell this, they wanted to patent it. Obviously, you got to lock in your rights. Uh, do, however, due to the paranormal nature of the item, you can't, you can't patent a thing that doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? So <laughs> Kind of hard to explain that to business people yeah. sometimes. So they talked to the clerk, and the clerk talked to his boss, and the boss was like, okay, we'll give you a patent as long as you can prove it does what you say it does. So he told he gave them the challenge of, if you can spell my, if that thing can spell my name, which you do not know, which he had not introduced himself, and I don't think they wore name tags back then. So if that would spell my name, then you'll prove to me that it works. So Bond and his sister sat down. And spelled out the the agent's name. Wow. Uh, white face and visibly shaken, on February 10th, 1891, he awarded them the patent for a new quote-unquote toy or game. It was actually the must-have Christmas gift of that particular year. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Yeah. And, and in, in, the, in the early 1890s, they were selling as many as 2,000 a week. So again, it, it kind of took off in popularity. Uh, now, it hit its peak popularity really in the 1920s, according to the stuff I found. Big spiritual movement. Yeah, really regarded as an innocent parlor game by most people until American spiritualist Pearl Curran uh, popularized its use as a divining tool during World War One. This was in part driven by the reduced life expectancy of the time, 
uh, high infant mortality rates in comparison to what we have today, and of course, the number of people losing their lives in war. Soldiers lost and loved ones wanting to make contact. Fam- family just wanted to reach out and, and get closure in some cases and, and to co- communicate with those that they felt they had tragically lost. The mainstream Christian denominations, including the Catholic Church, have warned against using Ouija boards, holding that they can lead to demonic possession. Occultists, on the other hand, are divided on the issue, with some saying that it can be a tool for positive transformation and and help with uh, those who have lost loved ones. Others uh, reiterating the warnings of the Christians and causing it uh, that inexperienced users should never use one. So kind of leading that open door of fate, you um, know, play this, if you will. Okay, I'm going to talk about some inexperienced users later. <laughs> now, the precursors, I did want to go back. Um, one of the first mentions I was able to find of the automatic automatic writing method, uh, similar to that of a Ouija board, was found in China around 1100 AD. And it was recorded on historical documents in the Song of Dynasty. The mes- method was known as Fuji, planchette writing. The use of planchette writing means necromancy and the communion with the spirit world where it continued, and albeit under special rituals and supervisions, was the center practice for some schools in China until it was totally forbidden there by the Quang dynasty. The modernization of the Ouija board, if you will, I'd say you could probably say happened in 1967 when the rights were sold to uh, Parker Brothers. Beloved, Good old Parker Brothers. Yeah, beloved gaming company Parker Brothers. Uh, they moved production to their base of operations in Salem, Massachusetts. Well. Which I found kind of interesting. Yeah. They sold two million boards in the first year that they owned the rights. Money making. So even, you know, as late as 1967, that was still a pretty popular item. You know, I think the first Ouija board I ever came in contact with was... Um, at a garage sale and my best friend Robert and his mom Joyce and my mom like every weekend we we went to garage sales it was just kind of a thing and Robert and I kind of came across this old kind of beat up box and it was it would have been from Parker Brothers 1960s version and I believe that's the box that looks like it has the brother and the sister and they're very very happy yes on the very cover. happy people <laughs> contacting the spirits but we were afraid I mean again we were raised here in the Bible belt and everything we were afraid to ask our moms if we could get it. And I think it was literally like 50 cents or 75 cents for this beat up box. So the two of us, we rounded up enough change that we had and we went and bought it without our mothers knowing (laughs) until they saw us trekking it to the car. And if I'm not mistaken, we were in Springfield. I don't think that made it back to Lebanon with us. I think literally we had to stop and like throw it in the trash somewhere. Uh, You know, my parents I was raised very religious, and we weren't to have any part of that. But that was my first uh, initiation with the Ouija board. Well, the Ouija board, and and I mean this with all pun intended, became demonized <laughs> after the movie The Exorcist came out. Oh, yes. Now, young Reagan explains to her mom that she was using the Ouija board to ask questions of an entity called Captain Howdy, which would turn out to be the demon that would eventually possess her in the movie. This convinced people that the Ouija board was evil because... You know, as you and I know, as a lot of people probably know, The Exorcist is in part influenced by a true story that's, I believe, happened in St. Louis, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. So there was that belief there that, oh, this must have happened. She used the board. It really was totally legit. Yeah. Yeah. Strangely, though, at the same time it was being labeled as evil, it has also caused sort of a resurgence in use a little bit at that time because it it drew people's interest. And and can you really do these things? So many claim that using the board can lead to demonic possession. 
and, and opens you up to contact with entities and things that are better left uncontacted. Now, something I found interesting, and I was reading a little bit about this. So the latest research from the University of British Columbia in Canada, they, they were doing the work on something they called the idiomotor effect. Mm-hmm. And essentially what this is, is the influence of the subconscious mind on muscle movement. Like we said, in the process of using the, the Ouija board, you know, you put your hands on the planchette and it's supposed to move as if guided by the spirits to communicate with you. In, in these studies, they found that it's possible that you're actually accessing the subconscious mind. Uh, now, what they did, one of the tests they did, which I found very interesting, was they took a, a, a series of very difficult questions and they posed those questions to the people at the table. And they did one set of questioning without any sort of aid or anything like that. They just posed them the questions and they were answered and they were difficult questions. When they were posed like that, the, the participants got the answers right 50% of the time. When they were given a Ouija board and, and told to you know, contact the spirits and, and, and see what the answers were, it actually increased the accuracy to 65%. Significant. Indicating that if there is no spiritual interaction, then the Ouija board is simply accessing the subconscious mind and maybe we have more information stored in our brain than we're even aware of. It was actually a professor of neurology. His name was uh, Terrence Hines, and he wrote a book called uh, Pseudoscience of the Paranormal in 2003. He based a lot of his own studies. It was uh, about the era of pre-2003, so it would have been like in the late 90s. Kind of to your point that conditions, you know, subjects were moving the planchette around involuntarily, answering the yes or no questions. The Ouija was used significantly more accurate than guesswork suggesting that it might draw on that unconsciousness mind. Skeptics have described the Ouija board users as operators. And literally, to your point, the, the brain subconsciously is, is using the hand or the fingers and guiding that uh, as an operator. And it spelled out a lot of messages that actually made sense, you know. And, of course, that was attributed, you know, see, the spirits are, are working through us and giving us this information. I thought that was pretty interesting. It actually does apply some science logic to, to the board. Now, for those of you that feel you need to put your hands on the planchette and, and actually go that route, there are some rules for using the Ouija board. And these are sort of widely accepted. I don't even know if there's any instructions on the box, to be honest. But these are sort of, sort of widely accepted rules. One, you need three or more users. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, if you get too many people involved, you're just going to be too crowded, too many hands on the planchette. You're not really going to see what's going on. Three to four people seems to be reasonable. You could have more than that. Um, now, all sources say you don't want any less than that, and you never want to use it alone. And as we've seen in, you know, um, paranormal activity, if you use it by yourself, then crazy things happen. But, you know, of course, that house was demon-possessed to begin oh, with. Oh, yeah. So. Uh, now, I will say that planchette, at least on the more modern versions, have like little felt pads. Yeah. It is extremely easy to slide on that slick board. So, like, to, as Bill's point... If you had a whole bunch of people gathered around the table, and even the slightest bump could affect that. Uh, when you sit down, you want to ask to communicate with friendly or good spirits. Rule out the bad ones right away. I mean, they're not going to lie to you. I'm not they? talking to you. Uh, when you're done, you want to close out the board, quote unquote, by moving the planchette to goodbye and then removing the planchette from the board again. Paranormal activity. You leave that planchette on there, it's going to move around on its own. It's going to scare you're, you. It's going to scare your friends. leaving that portal open, possibly for it's, whatever that wants to come through. That's the belief, is you're leaving the door open. Repeating letter combos. No, no, Momo, Zozo. Zozo mm, especially. Zozo. Uh, that indicates that you're interacting with negative entities. 
And you want to want to put a stop to that as soon as possible. I wonder if that's because demons stutter. <laughs> Momo, Dodo, Zozo. You uh, you're not supposed to ask for particular spirits. That's considered poor form. You don't want to reach out to anyone in particular, I guess. Now I got a question on that one. If you let's say during World War II or whatever, if you've lost a loved one and you were trying to contact yeah. them, would you not want to call them by name? Well, and it seems like that's what they would have been doing, right? So, but maybe only the expert. And don't ask spirits how they died. That seems to be tacky. They don't like that. Kind of rude. Do you not have the one in there where you're supposed to keep the board covered with like a piece of cloth? No, I did not. Oh, that was one. And one of my paranormal buddies, uh, shout out to Mark, when we did some ghost and paranormal investigations, we actually attempted to use a Ouija on a couple cases. And I will will be the first to say really nothing occurred. But uh, he was a firm, firm believer that he had like a small cloth Almost like uh, silk, but kind of a felty, thicker material. And that was to cover the board, even if it was folded up in the box. And you kept the planchard that way from even touching the backside of the board where it was folded up. So maybe that was just his rule, but he, he made a believer out of me. So, Well, I was talking about inexperienced users. And I was going to say, you know, if you have any personal experience, I don't feel that I would be doing my due diligence in this particular chosen path that we have, Eric, if I had not at some point in time tried to use a Ouija board. Yeah. So same here. It's a one, let's say late nineties, early two thousands. It wasn't necessarily easy to find these. They didn't know they weren't always sold in the store. I don't really think, I mean, Walmart yeah, they're, carries they're, them sometimes. It was but, kind of very hard to find them. They're, they're yeah. kind of getting a little bit more resurgence again today, but. And you could probably order things online at that point in time, but that was the early days of ordering online. And so what I did, me and my friend group at the time, we decided we were going to make a Ouija board. Sure. So we bought a piece of poster board. We bought a frame for it. We, we got some markers and we, we each of us contributed our own thing. So we, it's, it's, it's kind of humorous in hindsight. We each put what we considered a symbol for ourselves onto the board. Each person that contributed had a little thing they put on there. It's, it's no secret that I'm fascinated by sharks. Mm-hmm. And so there was a little shark icon that I drew, and then everybody drew something they felt was appropriate to themselves. Cool, cool. We put the letters on there, the numbers, the goodbye, you know, the yes, yes no. no. And then um, for a planchette, we used a shot glass. It's I've saw that clear. done several times. You can see times. through it. Yeah. You Works know, quite well. It seemed like it would be the, the right kind of deal. Now, the environment in which we chose to use the Ouija board was essentially an abandoned house um, that was on the property of one of the participants' grandparents. So they, I don't know if it was meant to be like a rental property or whatever, but it was in pretty rough shape. It was abandoned. I think we had to run an extension cord to even have electricity <laughs> in the house. So we all gathered around. And we tried multiple combinations of people. And how we, many people total did you have? Four, five? Yeah, I mean, five or six people maybe in okay. there. And again, we sort of limited it to like three or four at a time. We made someone a recorder, which we felt was, you know, you had to have one person on the outside writing. And we tried every combination. And what we discovered was we would only get movement when a particular member of our group had his hand on the planchette. What? Or their hand. And I'm not going to name names, but if, if they're <laughs> listening to the podcast... We did accuse you of you manipulating have been accused. it. Now, over the years, the conversation has expanded, and, and, and maybe you were the conduit, and, and the spirits were acting through you, but only, like, everybody else could sit there and, and, and touch it, and it would be frustrating until this person touched it, and then suddenly you, know, would suddenly you would get action. motion. So, at one point in time, we believed we were talking to the spirit of my deceased stepfather. Oh, wow. 
really at that point in time there were no questions asked no answers given that would have been unique you know it wasn't to say you know there were pieces of information only i would know or whatever so what made you think that then well one that's who the who it said it was oh okay <laughs> it, it, so it, it spelled it out identified itself as dad okay okay now my brother shows up he was not there at the time he shows up with a couple of his friends and he's like oh you know your ouija board huh yeah we're like yeah we're having a Ouija board and, party. And we're, we're saying, hey, we think this might be, you know, dad. And my brother goes, oh, well, was it said? And I'm like, well, not, I mean, nothing too conclusive. And he goes, what have I been doing tonight? And it moved around and it indicated that it was something bad. And he asked, well, is it something you used to do? And at this point in time, I'm going to take the motion of pinching my fingers together and holding it to my mouth just a little bit. Most people should understand what that motion means. <laughs> uh, to which it went immediately to yes. Now, there was no way for any of us there to know what he was doing that night. Right. So, maybe, maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. Now, the funnier part of the anecdote, I think we did this two or three times over the course of a weekend, maybe two. Chucked it in the trunk of my car, never thought about it again. (laughs) I can see where this story's going already. My mom, not being super religious, but still of a religious mindset. She needed to borrow my car for some reason. I don't remember why. And she took my aunt with her. Now, my aunt is, is more religious than yes. she is. Yes. I guess all, you know, well, all everybody has an aunt that's super religious, right? <laughs> it seems to be. Well, obviously, they took my car. They went to put something in the trunk. Saw the homemade Ouija board. So my mom What's gets, your boy doing yeah. on them days? Yeah, my mom gets home, and she comes in, and she's like, homemade Ouija board? Oh, yeah, I forgot that was back there. I hadn't even given it a thought, you know, to, to me, it was just a piece of a poster board with some stuff written on it at that point. <laughs> I, I hadn't even given it a second thought. And she's like, yeah, you just going to leave it in your car like that? And I'm like, I guess I could throw it away. You know, I, I don't know what do else to do with it. you want to use it, mom? Just, just to ask. <laughs> but it, I guess it did not sit well with my mom and my aunt when they found this I can imagine. in my trunk. I can imagine. So. Well, like I said, we're kind of right here in the middle of the Bible belt, so. Yeah. Well, I, I will go into a little bit more detail of, of my personal encounters with the Ouija board. As I'd said, uh, shout out to Mark, guy I used to work with, real, real close friend of mine, and my wife, Sarah. We uh, we took a Ouija board with us uh, to a, a house here in Lebanon that's on the Historical Society. Uh, my wife and I used to be uh, very active in the Historical and Genealogical Societies here in town. So long story short, we had become the caretakers for a couple of years for this particular house, and it was uh, called the Moneymaker Ploger House uh, off of Harwood Avenue. And uh, it also had no electricity in it. Uh, it had been kind of setting dormant for, oh gosh, decades, literally decades. And when the uh, last member of the family passed away, there was, there was no one else. And quite literally, the calendar was still hung on the walls from the early 70s. Glasses, pots, pans, everything was still in the kitchen furniture was still in the dining room, living room. I mean, literally it was just like somebody had walked out in the seventies and just, you know, never came back. And we had always as kids grew up around here, we'd walk past that house and it was always kind of that weird house in the town that had that strange allure that you thought you saw curtains moving and someone standing there, but no one had lived there for years and it had been tied up into an estate and the money had just kind of been doing the upkeep, but it was just kind of a weird, creepy, you know, style house. So, Mark and I, we were talking one night and, and that happened to come, come up and we hadn't really shared that we were caretakers of the house. It was, you know, just kind of a private thing. And, and we went over and checked in and just made sure we had a lot of uh, 
thefts and robbery there for a while. People were breaking in and stealing stuff. So the historical society had asked us to kind of keep an eye on things. And it was close by to where we lived. And we said, you know, Mark mentioned it and it's like, well, I can, I can get you in that house. And he's like, I, dude, I've been trying to get into that house for 20 years. <laughs> and it's like, uh, we've got the key. We can go like right now. And it was like nine o'clock at night, you know? And he's like, dude, let's go. I mean, you talk about an improv ghost hunt. So it's like, well, yeah, I've, we've always kind of wanted to see if there was anything there. So we spent about two to three hours there, took a Ouija board upstairs in one of the hallways uh, in between two of the bedrooms where some stories uh, of local legend had said that, you know, you could see a woman standing nearby a window looking out on the street and stuff and um, took it out. And of course, there was no electricity. So to add to the ambience, we had to bring candles so we had candles, very dim lit, you know, the little flickering thing. That's how the movie starts. Isn't That's it? <laughs> it. I mean, seriously, it was like right out of a movie. And um, we, we just sat on the floor out there, kind of cross-legged and had, had the Ouija board out in front of us and sat around it. And the three of us tried to get responses. I won't say we didn't get any responses, but a lot of the responses we got to the best of my memory were what I would call like gibberish or just, you know, You'd ask a, a particular question, you know, is there anyone here? And you might get a J and a, a K or something. So you're like, what does that mean? Just kidding it's, or what? No, you know? it's J.K. Simmons, the actor. <laughs> so, so to ask, um, did the movements feel deliberate or like sluggish? Um, no, they were quite deliberate. Okay. Like I said, we were using the planchard with the little felt pads and it slid quite well. I will say, and I remember the look on my wife's face. Now, she was, again brought up very religious and she made no bones about it to me as we went over to the house and mark followed in his vehicle i don't really feel comfortable with this but i will say that deliberate movement started and the look on her face was without words was like did you just feel that i mean it was <laughs> that kind of movement but again we got a few yeses a few no's but <sighs> Me kind of as a skeptic, I went into it and I, I didn't feel that we had anything of, you know, really any, any worth to say, oh my gosh, this absolutely was definitive truth. But uh, it was a great setting for a movie. <laughs> uh, we had the hair on the back of our neck stand up more than once. Had some fun doing it. The, the second time, uh, he and his now wife, Stephanie, and Sarah and myself, we uh, one of our many trips to the Limp Mansion in St. Louis. And the upstairs attic uh, was in the process of being opened and renovated for more apartments, which that was years ago. Now, now there's multiple rooms up on that attic floor. And that was where Zeke, uh, the small deformed child, uh, often referred to as the monkey boy, uh, was said to be pinned and could look out of that attic window at the kids playing down in the street. And that was an area in the previous times where we'd stayed at the Lent Mansion, of course, we weren't allowed access to. And the way the Lent Mansion works is you go in and, and you put your money in. You have full reign of the mansion besides the bar area. Obviously, I don't want you being there. But you can do ghost hunts all night long wherever you want on any floor. And a lot of the people that are staying there, if they are paranormal researchers themselves and they leave their uh, uh, hotel room door open, that's inviting you to be able to go into their rooms as well. So there was a group of people. There was probably six of us uh, that night, uh, the four of us in one group, and then a younger couple, I think, honestly, on their honeymoon, if I remember the story right. And they were traveling across the United States, staying at various you know, haunted locations, which I thought was very cool. 
But we went upstairs in the attic and again attempted uh, the Ouija board to contact uh, Zeke or one of the caretakers or anybody that would talk to us. And I will say there we got absolutely nothing, which kind of leads a little bit more credence to the Moneymaker Ploger house because we, that's, I mean, three of the four people were there and we did have some action. So, uh, but that was, that was really it. That's the only two times I've attempted to properly, I think maybe the best words to properly use a Ouija board, uh, besides the garage sale investment that 75 cents was, was out the window. Now, obviously we've talked about, you know, the Ouija board kind of has obviously a bad rep, uh, maybe more so in the Bible belt, uh, here in the, the mid Southwest area, but with many of the churches, the, the Roman Catholic uh, Church, the Christian churches have spoke out against it. Uh, the Dutch Reformed churches have spoke out against it. The Lutheran churches have spoke out against it. I mean, the list, the list goes on and on. But there was a story I kind of stumbled across. Uh, it was in 2001 where Ouija boards were being burned. And this was in New Mexico uh, by a fundamentalist group uh, known as Symbols of Witchcraft. Now, I thought it was kind of weird, 2001. I mean, you're thinking, okay, well, there's some movies that came out, but again, the Ouija board's been around forever. Why, why 2001? What had launched this was something else unrelated that was released to the public. And I, I will quote here, the, the religious criticism has also expressed beliefs that the Ouija board reveals information which should only be in God's hands, and thus it is a tool of Satan. Now, this is a direct quote from the, uh, the fundamentalist group there. Uh, Mexico. When, New Mexico. When has when has anyone ever learned a mind shattering secret of creation? Yeah, words from, from God from the Ouija board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this was predominantly due to the release and popularity of Harry Potter in the movie releases. Butterbeer, Death Eaters, Boggarts, Flu Powder. If you know what these mean, you're probably a fan of Harry Potter. If you have attempted to speak uh, parslec tongue or tried making your own uh, 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 clean uh. sweep seven, no, if you've you're gonna, probably taken your obsession a bit too far. Parcel tongue, if you're going to say it, say it right. Parcel tongue, yes, yes. <laughs> Language of the serpents. Harry Potter series had uh, not made its mark on just American pop culture. The story has been translated into 63 languages, and according to BBC News, including ancient Greek. Because why Ancient not? Greek, really. You can look it up on Amazon, and, and you'll find it there. Uh, the Harry Potter whole phenomenon somehow was then associated with Ouija boards, which I've watched all the Harry Potters. I took all of my kids to go see them. There was no mention of a Ouija board in there yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, I don't remember seeing anything. So I think it was just kind of like, hey, let's attack this because it's popular. And oh, yeah, let's get the Ouija board too because, you know, only God should know what answers And, and I lies bet they chucked some D&D books in there while they were oh, at I'm it. Oh, I'm sure. Why not? Let's add those for fuel to the fire. In Maryland, uh, Frederick County Public Library, now this is a library, not for resale, a store, but a library, had ordered 70 copies of the new Harry Potter book, and they found they had 153 people w on the waiting list uh, the Wednesday before it released on that Friday. The readers had been calling for months as soon as it released on July 20th when the date was announced. So again, this is... We, we did a podcast on the whole uh, back mass Dungeons and Dragons backlash and all this. Here's yet another example. You know, that just kind of stems and then it's like, let's tag that, let's tag that, let's tag that. But I thought that was interesting because I was like, they're burning the Ouija board. Another story I thought was quite interesting uh, is called The Ouija Board Jurors. Now, Jeremy Gans wrote a novel called The Ouija Board Jurors, Mystery, Mischief, and Misery in the Jury System 
which is further explained by an article written by University of Melbourne and Jeremy Gans himself. The story is about four jury members that sought the help of a Ouija board during a double murder trial to get answers to ease the stress of the actual trial that they were going through. These jury members mainly used this method to cope with various brutal images of the evidence that they were subjected to. The limits of jury trials were famously exposed in the 1994 English case of Stephen Young, who was accused of murdering husband and wife Harry and Nicola Fuller. Four juries consulted a makeshift, kind of like what Bill did, Ouija board while staying overnight in a hotel, ultimately leading to a retrial. The incident, often referred to as the Ouija board jurors, is seen by many as a prime example of reported jury misbehavior in the 20th century. You got to remember, increasing awareness of juror stress, that's a thing. And I never realized it until actually I started doing the research here, never thought about it. The first half of the 1990s marked a new awareness and understanding of the stress some jurors may be forced to experience. In the USA, this recognition arose in 1992 in particular, after the trial of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, where the evidence was so graphic, the judge arranged for mental health professionals to offer a post-verdict debriefing to the jurors, all 14 accepted. Two years later, the U.S. Center for Jury Studies drew on debriefing experiences to suggest that modern technology was adding to juror stress. Rather than having the chalk marks on the pavement as to where the body used to be, you now got a full-color videotape, sometimes even with sound. Let's face it, folks, some of the photographs and video footage taken at crime scenes with this new technology are images you can't get out of your mind, and things that most common people probably should never see. The following year, 1995, proved to be a barrage to intensify juror stress with the trials of O.J. Simpson in Los Angeles, serial killer and rapist Paul Bernardo in Toronto, Canada, as well as serial killer Rosemary West in Winchester, the first in England where jurors were offered counseling. The circumstances of the four Ouija board jurors bear close consideration. There's every reason to think they and their eight colleagues were just as distressed at the retrial jury by the evidence of Nicola Fuller's death, which included a disturbing actual recording of Mrs. Fuller phoning emergency services, but unable to speak due to a bullet wound in her cheek as she continued to gurgle and drowned on her own blood. They also faced the burden of having their private behavior and possible turmoil outed and scorned by tabloid investigation uh, police officers condemned by multiple courts and pillarized by a host of legal and academic uh, commentators. This was a spectacle. News wants to be a part of it. So the Court of Appeals judgment accused them of basically a whole retrial by using the Ouija board and corrupting the original tanked the case, you might as well say. Whatever the merits of the jury secrecy, there's no excuse for limiting ourselves to arid legal argument mock horror, amusing antidotes, and those occasions when we lift the veil. Rather, we should seek to understand what the jury actually experienced, including learning about the tasks they were required to undertake, some with little or no background, the evidence they were made to consider, and the effect that those things had on them. Not only should we be prepared to approach the seemingly outlandish behavior with sympathy, but we should also ask what might we have done had we had to bear their burden. In that stance, it's been taken from the onset, came out of the Ouija board case. Then the tale would have, I believe, 
prompted small but important changes to how we assess jurors in their role. At least now we're getting them professional help. Well, like we said at the beginning, Ouija boards are commonly available on Amazon. Uh, everybody knows what Amazon is. I don't need to describe Amazon. But I had, uh, I just found a treasure trove of, of uh, it's it's humorous, I'm going to say, in, in some of them. But uh, I'm going to read some of these. Um, one star review, broken. No demons have appeared yet. So these are reviews of people who have purchased the Ouija Amazon, board yeah. from Amazon and their reviews. Gotcha, oh. gotcha. One star review, broken. No demons have appeared yet. <laughs> uh, here's a three star review. I'm a wuss. It didn't work. Just kidding. I haven't worked up the nerve to try it. But this is a nicely made board. If a demon doesn't possess me when I finally try, I'll update. If I haven't updated in a few months, tops, then it's safe to say I'm kicking it with the devil. (laughs) Five-star review. Uh, Just read this. Okay, so I bought this because I don't believe in all that spirit or ghost talk type junk. Why would you buy it? Why would you buy it? But I can honestly say so many crazy things uh, was happening in my house after we opened it up. Mind you, I'm reading this as it was written. We didn't even play with it. Things disappeared and reappeared. More than once, my husband thought I was lying until he dropped his lighter outside and couldn't find. Followed by the next day, his lighter was sitting on the kitchen table. WTF? (laughs) I was walking into the trash when my neighbor asked if he could have it. So my demons are gone, and I'm about to sage my entire house. So if you think this is a joke to play with stuff like that, it's not one bit. I am a firm believer. Wow. Now, also, if you're familiar with Amazon... You'll know they have a, a, a place where you can ask questions of people who have bought the item mm, yeah. or the person selling the item. So I found some of these to be very funny, too. And and again, you know, funny to me. And, and I'll read some of them. You can see if you agree. So uh, only one of them has an answer. I'll read that one first. Will demons possess me? <laughs> answer. Depends. I had a demon try to crush my ribs in before. Felt like hands on the front and, and back of my ribs squeezing. Happened three times every other day until we cleaned the house with sage. Since then, I haven't felt the crushing pain. Demons are real. And I don't even own one of these boards. <laughs> be, be careful what you summon with this. And then the rest are just the questions. I don't have any more answers. Uh, am I going to die using this? I am so scared right now. I feel like I defied God. And I just bought it. It hasn't arrived. Again, why would you yeah. buy it then? Yeah. It hasn't arrived, but I feel like sending it back. Literally, I feel a huge negative wave of energy. And if I am scared, do you think I should return it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> How do you get it to stop levitating? What? <laughs> is it normal for it to spell the same thing each time? All I ever get is send nudes. Send nudes. Can I demand a refund as I'm now possessed and in need of a Catholic priest? I keep power puking green stuff and my bed will not stay on the ground. Here's a good one. I like this one. My, my wife found this one very funny. Is the game powered by Satan or does it come with batteries? <laughs> I use this, and now I hear voices in my house, but they're speaking Spanish. Anyone know how to contact a spirit who speaks English? Does the board come in an Amazon package, or is it in discreet packaging? I have to have this shipped to my parents' house, and they are Christians. Oh my gosh, I can imagine like this black bag arrives, you know. <laughs> can I use this to channel Sylvia Brown? I spent all my money on her books, and now I am broke. <laughs> here's here's an, another one. Does this board require an internet connection? Oh, my gosh. And here's my favorite. I saved this one for last. When I was playing, my dog started to levitate, and now every time I play, my pug won't come down from the ceiling. Is there any way to fix this? Jeez. (laughs) So I'm assuming not all of those are legit. Right, right. But again, 
I, I thought. Thank you for bringing humor to our yeah, podcast. Yeah, I thought that would. I thought some of those would be very funny, and I felt like it'd be a, a good way to cleanse and close out the session, Eric. Yes. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed yet another installment of Nightmares on the Lost Highway. Be careful what you order on Amazon out there, folks. Your pug could float away. Thanks for listening. We'd like to give a shout out to our first uh, paying sponsor, Raven's Loft. That's our family shop here located in uh, Lebanon, Missouri. It's your one-stop gaming, vintage toy, and collectible shop where you can find Star Wars, Transformers, G.I. Joe, comics, vinyl records, role-play gaming, Magic the Gathering, and so much more. We're located here at 223 West Commercial, downtown Lebanon, and also in our second location, uh, also here in Lebanon, at the Heartland Antique Mall. We'd like to thank Ravensloft for again supporting Nightmares on the Lost Highway. I want to take a time to thank the people that helped bring this all together. Uh, Alex Tudor, you can almost call him our producer at this point. Sarah Tudor, who also helps with some of the technical stuff. I want to take a moment to extend thanks to Eric for letting us use his space to record in kind of our makeshift studio. I, in turn, would like to thank Bill for, one, putting up with me and uh, using this camaraderie to do something we both very much love and enjoy doing. And thank Bill's family for allowing him to spend all the time to work and clean up our recordings and present them in what uh, you hear in the final uh, terms, uh, the final edition, if you will. Um, And I'd like to thank all of you for continuing to, to listen. I know we've got some loyal followers out there. We do this as a labor of love, but we're, we're happy that there are people that enjoy it as, hopefully as much as we do. Thank you very much.